we're going to be talking about over the next two weeks, living in light of eternity. We're going to be studying over the course of our summer Bible conference, uh, the end times, the future events. It's significant. And I've heard some pushback from some people, some uh, even believers who said, boy, Joe, there's very little the Bible addresses it. Really? I mean, isn't it, isn't it something that divides churches when you talk about stuff like this? And the reality is hundreds of references uh, talk about future events. It's not a side issue. It's very much of a central issue in the scriptures. And it's essential then that we understand that and that we live in light of eternity. So when you think about why we're going through this study and why we're talking about that, I really believe it's, it's your view of the future will guide your present and liberate your past. Now, folks, we're all working with a picture of the future. Some of it may be biblical and some of it may not be. But you know, whatever you do, even if you don't approach life from a faith perspective, you operate with a picture of the future. It guides your present, it liberates your past. If you're pursuing a career, how many of you are in college right now? You have a picture of the future. And it may include a career path. It may include a job that's significant, where you're making a contribution, where it's meaningful to you. And so that guides your present, right? It guides your present so that you'll go to school, you'll pay all those thousands of dollars, you'll cram for the tests, you'll get the resume that can land you that job. It guides your present because you don't want to work the rest of your life for $8 an hour. You don't want to serve under a boss flipping burgers all your life, perhaps. You want a different career path. Some of us have a picture of retirement that's in the future. And that vision of the future is one of, boy, a comfortable life on my own terms. I don't have anyone telling me what to do. And it guides right now that we're making contributions, that we're investing and saving right now, that we're... Um, uh, you know, focused even on our health right now. So we'll have that time when it comes because we don't want to be working all of our lives. We don't want the frustration. We want to put our time in and then have retirement. Others of us have a vision for marriage and it includes that person other than our dog or cat who's excited to see us when we come home and, and can't wait to spend time with us. And that vision of our future sometimes gives us anxiety right now, especially if you're single. Who will I get? What is God doing here? And doesn't he know I want a spouse? Some of us even have a vision for our kids. And that vision includes beauty. It, it, it includes athletic ability, intelligence. Are they in the upper top 5% of their class? And so in present, it kind of guides us. And we send them to tutoring. We get them the best coaches. We're always comparing. Where do they stack up compared to the rest of the, the class? And we pour thousands of dollars into our kids because we want their lives to be better than ours was at their age. See how it does this? Your view of the future guides the, your present and liberates your past. So don't you think it's important to study and understand where you and I will spend eternity? Don't you think your picture of the future might be able to guide your present and liberate your past? This is a vast majority of your existence is going to be spent in eternity. You know, it's, it's a, a book called Money, Possessions, and, Re- and Eternity by an author named Randy Elkhorn kind of messed with my world with this statement. 
Listen to this quote. It's kind of long, but listen to it. It says, being oblivious to eternity leaves us experts in the trivial and novices in the significant. We can name that tune, name the starting lineup, name the actor's movie debut, and detail the differences between computers and four-wheel drive vehicles. None of this is wrong, of course, but it's certainly revealing when we consider that most Christians let alone the general public, do not even have an accurate picture of what the Bible says will happen after you die. We major in the momentary and minor in the momentous. What does God have to say about our lives here? He says that life is so brief that we're like grass that grows up in the morning and wilts in the afternoon, Isaiah chapter 40. Our life here is but a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes, James 4, 14. So folks, in our quest to major on the momentous and strive for the significant, let's begin. What are the essential events in the future? What are the essential future events? Well, scripture is very clear on, first of all, the resurrection of the dead. Paul in in 1 Corinthians 15, as well as 2 Corinthians 5, talks about since Christ has been raised from the dead, when you die, you will be with the Lord if you have trusted in him. And that's a key reality. Paul calls it being absent from the body at death, but present with the Lord. And that's the promise God gives to each and every one of us who trust in him. There's also a physical return of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14:3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again to receive you to myself so that where I am, there you will be also. He promises to come back. And the New Testament church heard that, understood it, and lived their lives in the realm of eternity. There's also a final judgment as detailed in Revelation chapter 20 where literally death and Hades, sin and Satan, will be cast into the lake of burning fire. We don't like judgment. Our culture doesn't like judgment. No one likes to hear a message on judgment until something bad happens to us by a big bully. We don't like judgment or justice until we discover a community in the Dominican Republic where children are are working as for sweat labor or in being abused when the government turns its back. Folks, we don't like justice until we see and are totally affected by injustice. And you know what? God is the protector of justice. He is righteous. And as much as loving as he is, he's also righteous. And he will hold all accountable for sin. And to those whose sins have not been received by the work of Christ... The final judgment is there as Revelation 20 details it. There's also a complete restoration. After God judges evil and sin, there will be a new heaven and a new earth as detailed in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And we'll look at that in just a minute. And then there's eternal life where we will dwell with him. He will be our God and we will be his people as detailed in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. These are essential Christians who are biblical believe in these essential elements of the future events. There's also significant events that are about to happen as detailed in Old Testament prophecies and many New Testament prophecies. Significant things that you'll be learning about in our summer summer Bible conference 
like the rapture of the church, where it's detailed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where, where when the rapture of the church happens, we will meet the Lord in the air, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says. And then that will start a seven-year tribulation, as the Daniel details his 70th week. Matthew chapter 24 talks about, and the book of Revelation speaks of, a seven-year tribulation. At which time there'll be the rise of the Antichrist, as detailed in Revelation chapter 13, as well as Daniel chapter 11. And then Christ will return and defeat through the battle of Armageddon, as as detailed in Revelation 16, and then start a thousand year reign of Christ, as detailed in Revelation chapter 20. Now, all these details we're going to discuss in our summer Bible conference, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday evening here in this room from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. But you know what? I got some pushback when we talked about this. And I hear some pushback sometimes, even from other Christians who say, Joe, don't teach the end times because it could lead to false assumptions. And it could sound confusing to people and could even divide our church. And if not biblically guided, could turn into heresy. And do you know what? All of this has happened. All of this has happened in, in churches that focus and put the, 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 the emphasis on detailing every little detail of future events. That they get hung up on that and tend to ignore the, even the first coming of Jesus because they're so uh, raptured up in, in the second coming. And we want to do this balance. But folks, can I just say this? The neglect of the study of end times can also lead to false assumptions to confusions in the church, to divisions in the church, and, God forbid, heresy. That's where we get the heresy currently very active in our world today of that I'd like to think God is theology. And it's, it's, it's distant from the scripture. It's untethered to the scripture. And it basically goes, I know there's this thing like hell, but you know what? I just can't imagine a biblical place called hell. And the church just kind of, you know, invented hell so that they could scare Christians into doing what they want to, which is kind of ridiculous. That means we should never talk about cancer, uh, because we're afraid people will stop smoking. No, we do that. Dangerous things we warn people on. You do that in every area of your life. Why would we neglect that with the significance of eternity? And so, folks, as we do that, I believe, I believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him in his word and in your life. And so it's been rewarding for me to study the future events, to know and understand and then to live light in the live life in the light of eternity. There's been four blessings that I've received personally by studying and living in light of eternity. And the first one is this, the blessing of hope. The blessing of hope. Turning your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8, where Paul addresses hope to Christians who are suffering for their faith. He gave him incredible perspective. Look at Romans 8, verse 18. He says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience, with patience. Folks, the Bible anchors us in hope. And hope always has the future in mind. And here, when it talks about our future for eternity, it's going to say it's not worth comparing in our present suffering. Even on the best day of our lives here, no comparison. In a hundred years, when you're with the Lord, if you've trusted in him, you will see this reality. But throughout eternity, there's going to be no comparison. And right now, Paul talks about creation groaning and then us groaning because we see the brokenness and the fallenness of this world and we look to a future restoration. Paul addresses it further in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, where he says this. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do. And look at that last, last, that the phrase there in that verse, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then he goes and he's where the concept of the rapture has happened because as Christ comes, we will meet him in the air. Those who, uh, the, those who have died will meet him in the air and we who are on earth will meet him, will be raptured up with him. This gives us hope. It gives us hope at a time of death. It gives us hope in eternal future. Hope is an essential in life. Yet hope's not regulated by a doctor who can give you a pill and all of a sudden you have hope. Hope is conditional on faith. Did you ever realize that? You can be godless and even an atheist, but you will still operate with a sense of faith when it comes to hope. Because hope is something not seen. It's usually related to how you view your future. And that's something you can't control and that hasn't happened yet. So you have to function with a level of faith. So if you're pursuing a career right now, all your hope is going to be formulated by your grade point average, your test scores, and the percentile you are in your class, as well as your job experience. If your picture of retirement is where you're placing your hope, it's going to be formulated by your current investment condition, your life insurance policy, and your current health. In relationships, this is how it works. Think about just how this phrase develops hope in you. When someone comes up and you're dating them and you go, you know what, I love you more today than I did yesterday, but, but not, not as much as tomorrow. And you could go, yeah, there's a song about that. No, but what does it do? It goes, wow, this sounds long term. 
And today has a whole new meaning because you have confidence about tomorrow. But if you're in that same relationship and you hear, hey, we need to talk. See, we need to talk doesn't develop hope, does it? It's like, oh, no. And you lose sleep. And she drops the bomb. Okay? You don't get hope by a statement like that. In marriage, if your spouse goes, wow, you are awesome. I am so thankful. You are God's one of God's greatest blessings in my life. You know, that, that wells up hope in a marriage versus, what did you just do? Okay? <laughs> See, that doesn't well up hope. How, what's happening today? Again, your confidence in hope, your faith in what's going to happen tomorrow, and your confidence is going to, it's going to give you a blessing of anticipation. That's the result of hope, is you anticipate it. You can't wait for tomorrow. When you do not have hope, guess what? You have, you have despair. You're worried about tomorrow. You dread tomorrow. So these, as we study and understand the future events, God's doing this so that we would anticipate the future. Now, God's word is set eternally on hope. So what if you had a vision for the future that wasn't based on short-term things like landing the right career or you know anything that you can't control. What if it wasn't just 5, 10, 15, 40 years ahead of you, but 100 years and forever? See, that's what God wants for each and every one of us. And when we study the future events, he gives us a picture of hope. Because right now, what happens in this world, your strategic life right now, will actually affect how you experience the next billion plus years in eternity. So we need biblical guidance for our future and a biblical redemption for our our past. And living living in the light of eternity blesses us with hope. Second blessing is the blessing of fulfillment. I told you to, we're going to talk about this final and complete restoration of all things. Folks, turn with me to the last two chapters in your Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, the Bible tells the story of a God who created things. And very quickly, although we were created in a perfect world, we chose to walk away from God. And we've fallen. And basically from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation 22, God is redeeming. He's redeeming us. His stubborn love for us, him, his calling us back, his patience, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's the story of the scriptures. Well, Revelation 21 and 22 talk about the fulfillment of all things. Where all these prophecies are completely fulfilled. Look at what it says about the eternal state. In Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4 it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth, our earth we're on now, had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither there shall be shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Skip over in Revelation chapter 22, beginning with verse 3. No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, folks, look at how the Bible describes the future restoration of all things. A new heaven, a new earth, new eternal bodies. All the Old Testament prophecies about Christ are now history. And there's fulfillment in them. And there's good reason as you read the Old Testament prophecy about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who came and redeemed us. All those were true and right. And we could go through and spend hours. I saw a book this big detailing all the Old Testament prophecies and how they were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That's history. But some of the Old Testament prophecy and most of the New Testament prophecy is about what what the second coming and the future events. Folks, it's prophecy right now and it will be fulfilled But we can open up our scriptures and 25% of the scriptures, when they were originally written, were prophecy. Many of those prophecies are fulfilled. There are still yet future predictive prophecies that have not yet happened. But we can trust in the fulfillment of God's word because of his track record. Folks, every one of those things happened. And we can trust him. Now think about who the book of Revelation was written to originally. Certainly it's written to us today. But originally it was written to seven churches. And John would use this fulfillment of prophecy or this prophecy to say, look, endure the suffering that you're under. It's strong, but God will fulfill his word. He said, look, move away from the distractions of this world. Stop being lukewarm and be all in with God, Church of Laodicea. And so they could, they could trust in this prophecy that God would do this and these things would come to pass because of the integrity of God's former prophecies that were now history. So when authorities persecuted them or martyred them or turned their eye to justice, God, they, they could trust that God's eyes saw them and would hold the perpetrators accountable. When they served the marginalized to advance the gospel in the dark corners of this earthly kingdom, they could have confidence that they were in the center of God's will, advancing his kingdom on earth. When they suffered alone, whether shipwrecked, whether being beaten, beheaded or isolated or penniless, they could have confidence that the owner of the universe was not ashamed to be their God, as Hebrews chapter 11 says. Why? Because God would fulfill it. And when you have fulfillment in your life, 
you have expectation. Expectation. Without it, you have disappointment. All prophecies related to the future will be fulfilled. These aren't hollow pipe dreams, but actual physical and spiritual promises to be fulfilled. But without an eternal expectation, my expectations tend to be set way too low on people or things that cannot produce. So that's why when even we land the great jobs and have the incredible income, we realize that we still are not fulfilled. That means that when we move into retirement and we do have life the way we want it, no one's in our way, we realize when life's all about us, it can't be about God. That's why we have so many angry old men in our world today. When we're in a relationship and it's not going the way because we expected our date to be our personal savior, we realize we set our expectations too low. It means... That a marriage that you thought was married to the guy of your dreams and that has now turned into a nightmare. You realized I've expected way too much for them. And that means with our children. That when we try to live our lives through them and bolster them through all the little things of success that this world offers them. And they buckle underneath the pressure of it we realize we've put far too many expectations on them that they can't handle. Folks, God says, with him, set your expectations high, far higher than you would anyone or anything here. So you want justice in this world? Trust that someday God will restore and judge all things. You don't have to be focused in revenge because you can trust people and things and unfair practices to the hands of Of God. When you want relationship, trust, set your expectation high for the most significant relationship in your life, the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Can I just be honest with you as opposed to lying? (laughs) Um, One of my greatest fear when I was in, in college and early adulthood was the fear that I would say I do and the rapture would happen. And I wouldn't get my honeymoon night. And doggone it, I was saving myself for this honeymoon night. And by the way, kids, this is not for you today, okay? You're supposed to be downstairs in our children's ministry. This is PG-13 here. But you know what? I wanted that, okay? And I remember confessing. I said, here's my nightmare. I fear I didn't marry the girl of my dreams. And when I said I do, trumpets would blast. We'd go up in the air and I'd be going, give me just a few hours. Okay. (laughs) And then I kind of confessed that to an older Christian man. And he just laughed. He said, what's your view of eternity? I said, slippers, terry cloth robes, and lots of harps. And he just laughed. He said, see, your expectations are far too low, far too low for eternity. That wouldn't budge me here on earth if that was reality. And God says, no, no, no. He said, whatever relationship could give you here on earth. Look at that passage far beyond comparison. than even the best marriage can give you is that relationship with God and others throughout eternity. It will far trump any relational experience we have here on earth. 
We can expect that. In church, we're called to expect it. Set high expectations for life because, because eternity will far surpass in comparison not to disappoint you. So we have the blessing of hope. We have the blessing of fulfillment. But we also have the blessing of perspective. And boy, don't we need perspective. By the way, let me just go back. That, that blessing, uh, the result of perspective is significance. Oh, hang on once. I jumped ahead of me. So, okay, let's look at perspective. Here's this verse. Kind of excited about this topic, so I go scattered from time to time. This verse in 2 Corinthians rocked my world when I was about 24 years old, throwing papers, going through seminary in downtown Dallas. And uh, I was penniless. I was wondering, how am I going to pay for seminary? I was frustrated. My route went right through the heart of downtown Dallas. So I saw business and corporate success all around me. I deliver papers to these buildings that had guards on them, that had art collections and wealthy executives. And I wasn't feeling great about my life, wondering if I could make it through seminary. And then this verse, as I was throwing papers, I was also listening to the word on tape at that time. And it said this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Folks, this is how we should live. This is our perspective. And we're literally called to look and say things that are seen temporary. They're not going to last. They last maximum several years beyond that. Not too much. What lasts for eternity? What lasts forever? And the blessing of perspective due to the future is that you understand what's significant and what's not. It's a blessing. See, without an eternal perspective, everything's a crisis. And again, let me redirect you back to that statement by Randy Elkhorn. We major in the momentary and minor in the momentous. Folks, if I could show you how many hours are spent putting fantasy football teams together at the expense of targeting a life towards things that last and people that last. So we're called by the scriptures again. To, to understand that our future with Christ is beyond all comparison. So we're actually invited into an appraisal of all things. Where we go like, my car. Is it temporary or is it eternal? Help me with this one. <laughs> temporary. So when you go out there and you see the door ding... Because someone, you know, hit your... Remember, this is temporary, okay? Your home. You know the one that you got over-mortgaged that's eating into everything and you don't feel you're able to give because of... Is it temporary or is it eternal? Help me with this one. Temporary. So all this stuff on the Home and Garden Network. Temporary or eternal? Okay, lots of hours of programming on that one, okay? My kids, the spiritual condition of my children, their heart for the Lord, temporary or eternal? Help me. 
eternal. They last forever. You're an eternal being. The word of God. Something that will pass like the flower or something that will last forever. Temporary or eternal? Eternal. Folks, we've got to get to the point where we understand what's significant. And we need to pour our lives into what's significant. Because folks, if we have a perspective on just the temporary things that are seen, we're going to have constant crisis. You see, when you lose a dream or you lose a job or you lose an income or you lose a relationship or an investment or a child or a capacity to do something that what you once took pride in and the list just goes on and on and on. Folks, if this is all you got and you're put in a little coffin and buried or you're disintegrated and your ashes are are splattered all over the world. Folks, if this is it, everything's a crisis when you lose it. But because the things that are temporary, boy, we can give up a lot of those when we still have the things that are eternal. So you're blessed with perspective when you live in light of eternity. And finally, you're blessed with direction. We've got hope, fulfillment, perspective, direction. Do you know that all four of these are priceless? Priceless. Look at what Paul says. It actually affects your view of the final things. Actually affects how you live today. It ought to. Look at it in Titus 2, where he, he says in verses 11 to 15, he says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, whoever, rich, poor, sick, healthy, those in, those out, all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See how the long-term picture is affecting and guiding the present. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, church. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He's saying since salvation has come, redemption is ours. Turn from ungodliness, worldly passions, live self-controlled lives. The only way you'll live in a self-controlled manner if you actually believe tomorrow's going to be a better day. The only way. If you don't buy into the lie that the band-aid today is worth leveraging your whole future on, then you can live with self-control, upright, godly life in this present age. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just victory at death, but victory at the culmination of all things. Therefore, my beloved brothers, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It moves us into a direction. And we join the creator of all of life and the author of the greatest story ever written, whom he, whom we're called to play a significant role in. We're called into, when we have this direction, his purposes. That's a blessing we receive. 
when we follow his direction. You see, without it, there's a pointless existence. If you don't believe there is a future after death, there's several directions your life can go. It can go towards vanity, where you basically say, I'm going to make the most out of this life, and it's going to be about comfort, pleasure, and my excitement. You can even move towards a compassionate life, where you're held in regard by others, because you you commit your life to greater causes, relieving poverty or hunger or sickness. But when life, your life is over, the problem's still there. You see, in your heart and my heart of hearts, we long to be part of something grander. And I've been involved in relief and aid work for many years now. And there comes a point when you realize that some people you just can't help. It's a helpless perspective. And you also understand that even if you can help them, you ultimately cannot restore their hearts. And so there's a, there's a picture where there's got to be a greater purpose in what I'm doing. And the remedy for the short-term, short-sighted and short-blessed believer is ultimately there will be a complete and total restoration of hearts and all things, heaven and earth, when Christ returns. So we come back to the big deal about eternity. The answer is, look, we're going to spend most of our existence there. And our lives right now need hope. They need a picture of fulfillment. We certainly must have a picture of perspective and, that, and a direction to guide us. The question is, are you willing to live in light of eternity? Now, let me just give you an illustration here. If I were to walk up to your kids, and your kids are in high school right now, and I were to say, hey, I'm your pastor, and kids, listen to me now. I want you to ignore all your studies. Relax. I know school starts at 8. Go in at 11. And don't do any homework. Spend all your time having fun. Eat, drink what you want. Just enjoy this time. You're only going to be young once. And you can't have it after you grow old like me. Look at this. You lose your hair and everything. Just enjoy your lives right now. And here, guys, just commit your lives to the best Call of Duty score you possibly can. (laughs) Girls, just see how many people you can get to like your Instagram photos. Okay? Just do that. Relax. Can I say something? You would freak. You would freak. You'd go, Joe Hishman shouldn't be the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church anymore. Get him out. Keep him away from the youth ministry. Keep him far away from my kids. Why would you do that? Because you would come back and you would say, like me with my kids. Look, this is an incredibly strategic time in their lives. They're, they've got to get the right grades to get them the right college applicant. They've got to get the right ACT test. test. They've got to learn how to study now because so much of their future is affected by what they do in high school. And your heart rate would be coming through your chest. We believe that about four years of existence in high school. Why is it we're far more concerned about the momentary in this life when it will be like a mist that appears for a while and is gone when all of our future is impacted 
by how well we live our current lives in the light of eternity. Folks, we study this to prepare you to meet your God and where you will spend far more of your existence outside of this world than you do currently. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for opening our eyes to the truth of your scriptures. It's not a side, unimportant issue. This is very important, and it's at the center of your plan. Lord, I pray that we would each commit to learning and studying the truth about the future, and that we, as a response, would live in light of eternity. Lord, move our hearts to love you and to love others with a heart for eternity. It's in the name of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that I pray. Amen.